So, uh, welcome to Plodcast 43, episode 43 in our Plodcast podcast. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. So, I, w- I want to talk about um, uh, something that's kind of troubling, uh, at least initially troubling, and I want to argue that it ought not to be troubling, but here it is. So, um, uh, m- members of our family were sitting around the other night, and my son was... Uh, uh, reading the highlights uh, to us from an article that he was uh, reading. And the phrase that came to my mind about the topic of this uh, this topic of this article, uh, which had to do with Google and Facebook, uh, was the phrase dirty omniscience, dirty omniscience. And I want to uh, tease that out in just a bit. And the the upshot of the uh, the upshot of the article is that, Google is tracking virtually everything you do, and uh, and Facebook is doing almost that, almost that same amount. Uh, you could reproduce if if you uh, if you've got uh, uh, a smartphone that you've had on your person and you have um, used it for the last year, it would be possible to reconstruct a detailed map of everywhere you went uh, in the course of that year, um, you know, which location, which shops, which, uh, which houses, which places, you know, they could just, they could reproduce the, the whole map. Uh, they can reproduce, they, so the issue is what information um, does Google store? Well, they store everything, every, every page you've gone to, every photo you've taken, everything you've said, um, your, your phone is listening to you, um, you know, so um, just give you an example. I think this happened the same, same evening. Uh, we, uh, my son has bought some acreage out, out, out of town and they're looking to build on it. And, uh, you know, being out of town, there are ticks out there. And so um, we were talking about uh, different birds that eat ticks. You know, you want you want birds that eat ticks, and so I, I think the question um, came came up: Do do guinea fowl eat ticks? And that was part of the conversation. Then later, uh, Nate went to Google the question, and he typed in um, "do guinea" something like that, and it auto filled in the remainder: eat do, do guinea fowl eat ticks. The, the phone was listening to the conversation and helpfully contributed what they thought you might be uh, wanting to know, right? So um, I call this dirty omniscience because uh, it's, it's, it's being, this is being done uh, surreptitiously and sneakily by sinners. And that not only are they sinners, but they're, they're kind of sorcerer's apprentice Centers, sinners, where uh, their algorithms can do amazing things, and their and their um, data banks can store an amazing amount of information, but it is very clear to me that this is going to go badly wrong. But here's the thing: when when most Christians hear uh, that Google, you know, be careful, little eyes what you see, be careful little hands what you do, be careful uh, little fingers what you type. Um, 
you you have to realize that your browser history, right, including those um, pictures you shouldn't have been looking at, including those things that you uh, those those seedy parts of the internet where you shouldn't have uh, buy rights um, been, almost certainly, right, is stored somewhere. Somebody who, now, you already knew that God the Father knew all this. You already confessed your sins. You already knew that the things that you, uh, your own um, private sins, you already knew that there was at least one other person who knew about it. And that person was God. But that person was God. That person who is God is the person who is perfect, infinite, wise, loving, and he sent his son to die for you. All right, that's, that's who knew. Well, guess what? Somebody else knows. And that somebody else who knows didn't send anybody to die for you, doesn't love you, is not caring, is not kind, is not compassionate, and has this information stored in, in ways that, in principle, hackers could get into, or it could be released accidentally, or it could be used for purposes of blackmail, etc. So, um, just, uh, just uh, um, to come up with a hypothetical uh, uh, case, suppose that there was a stalwart social conservative guy running for Congress or running for the governorship of, a, of an influential state, and he looked like he was a rising star. And he was a real threat to the agenda of the other side. Let's say that he also had a porn habit. And let's say it was a porn habit that he kicked five years before. All right. But that information is there. It can be used for blackmail. It can be used for coercion. It can be used um, as part of the politics of personal destruction. In other words, it's a dirty omniscience. The, I, I, I would put omniscience in scare quotes because it's not true omniscience. It's only partial, and it can be made even, uh, made even more partial, right? So uh, what are we to do besides... Uh, I said I began by saying this is troubling, but I don't think we should freak out about this sort of thing. We know how these sorts of stories always end. People who want to challenge God, people who want to rival God, are the ones who are headed for trouble. They are the ones who are headed for for great and grave difficulty. So uh, we should do what we can to start raising doubts publicly about things like the admissibility of any kind of electronic data like this uh, in any kind of court trial. We should, cast sh- we should throw shade on it every chance we get because these things can be manipulated. They can be quoted out of context. You know, uh, let's, say, um, let's say this guy running for Congress the uh, bad guys come forward and say, "Hey, we've got your browser, we've got your browser history uh, right here, and you're you're a hypocrite." Um, well, think think this through. Um, 
if, if he is the kind of person who has sinned in this way, he has sinned against God by doing this. But uh, we ought not to submit ourselves to the judgment of these corruptocrats. Um, I don't think we should accept their, their, their right to speak into this kind of situation uh, at all. Um, so he's running—just to illustrate, uh, imagine the press conference where the, the reporter is asking him, you know, according to this report from Google, you've got this browser history, da-da-da-da. Uh, you know, I think that uh, he should say something like, look, I don't think that we should do anything based on any kind of accusation from this quarter at all. These are people who broke into my house in the middle of the night. And they are telling you that having broken into my house, they found some Playboys under the bed, or they found a stack of Playboys in in one of my closets. But they already admitted to you that they broke into my house. Who's to say they didn't bring the Playboys with them? Who's to say this isn't planted? Who's to say that this this isn't being represented completely out of context? Um, The spiritual man, uh, Paul says, is judged by no one. Uh, I, I believe that we have to start embracing the reality of God's justification of his people. That doesn't make sin okay, all right? Because in, in Romans 6, we are, uh, we are told that, that uh, we're not supposed to sin up a storm because to, in order to get grace to abound. But God deals with sin by removing the condemnation. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, the the owners of this particular form of dirty omniscience are not driving toward us a declaration of no condemnation, not a bit of it. They are driving, um, they want a society that is fueled by and that runs on accusation. So, still here in Plodcast 43, and we come to my uh, book review. Uh, I want to review a book that um, that I found. Uh, I, I describe it as helpful but patchy. Helpful but patchy. Um, it's the book is called Approved by God, and it's uh, by uh, a couple of gents named Wright and Townsend. And what this book has to, what this book deals with, is uh, the subject of churches and incorporation. Churches and Incorporation. Now, let me roll my cards um, first and just tell you where uh, what we have done here at Christ Church on the subject of incorporation. In, in Idaho, we have the option of forming an association rather than a corporation. And an association can own property and do business and that sort of thing. And that's what we've done. And we opted for that instead of incorporation because uh, as as is pointed out in this book, approved by God, uh, a a corporation is a very strictly defined legal entity, and it is a creature of the state. Now, I don't mind at all uh, the state having this artificial person called a corporation created by them to do certain things. Um, um, you know, businesses can be in corporations or schools can be in corporations. But the problem uh, comes when you're talking about the church, 
because I don't want the local assembly, which is uh, a part of the bride of Christ, which is ha- which has Christ as her head, to be saying that on the one hand, to be saying that on Sunday morning, and then on Wednesday when you file your incorporation papers, say that you were brought into existence by the state of Idaho, uh, and that the head of the church is the secretary of, uh, you know, secretary of state. You know, the the head of the church is is it Jesus or is it Idaho? Okay, so uh, this uh, this book approved by God uh, is helpful in that it shows the history of some of the legal cases that helped um, our society define what a corporation is exactly, uh, and and I think pastors and elders of churches would do well to. Um, to get this book and read it, read through some of the uh, legal history of it. The, a corporation uh, exists exists at the pleasure of the state. A corporation, let me say that again, a corporation exists at the pleasure of the state. They tell you what officers you must have. They tell you when you must meet. They tell you what the conditions for your continued existence are and so forth. Now, many, many churches that have incorporated, and they incorporate in order to be qualified for the IRS uh, category of 501c3, when they, when they incorporate, uh, they, one of the reasons people have a hard time believing that any of this is true is because these, uh, uh, these regulations or these uh, prerogatives that the state has over the, the religious corporations called churches are so rarely or are so rarely or loosely enforced. So um, on paper, you have signed away your right to uh, meet when you think the Lord Jesus wants you to meet. You've signed away your right to have your the officers of your body be the officers that are laid out in the New Testament, elders and deacons. Rather, you must have a secretary, treasurer, um, and president, and so on. Um, so that that is all to the good. Any we So we made a principled choice in at, at Christ Church that we were not going to incorporate. We formed ourselves as an association, and having formed ourselves as an association, we've been doing business, uh, worshiping God, and um, purchase, you know, buying and selling property and do, doing these sorts of things as an association that does not exist at the pleasure of the state. Uh, so um, that's important. Now, here's the difficulty. Wright and Townsend, uh, some of the um, some of the best work on these issues. I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to put it this way: some of the best and and um, unhelpful work is done on this issue by Baptists. Um, many uh, uh, separatistic ba- Baptists have understood the understood the issue issues here and have um, opted to have unreg- opted to have unregistered churches and so on. Uh, and Wright and Townsend are writing from that uh, tradition. But here's the, this is the difficulty. Um, they are so concerned, as, because of the history that Baptists have had being persecuted by the state, they're so concerned to maintain all independence from the civil magistrate that I think they, they overstate their case and, 
And here's how I think it's overstated. When they talk about the prerogatives, the crown rights of King Jesus and the and the the sole headship of Christ over the church and so on, everything they're saying is resonates with me and, and it applies. But let's say you're the governor or the mayor or uh, the civil magistrate in some sense. Here's my here's my question for Wright and Townsend. What about the kingdom hall? What about the Jehovah's Witnesses? None of the arguments that they are laying out in this um, book apply to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is not the head of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses were not formed by um, uh, were not were not formed by God. It's not a new not a New Testament church. Now, does the civil magistrate have any legitimate overlapping interest at all in what ecclesiastical entities, the true, the false, and the muddled in the middle? Does the civil magistrate have any kind of interest in recognizing the true religion from the false religion? Now, um, and as a Westminsterian Presbyterian, I would say yes. Uh, the Westminster Confession, both the, uh, both the original British uh, Westminster Confession and the American Revision that is revised at this point, both recognize that the civil magistrate has the duty and, and the responsibility to um, be a supporter of the Church of Christ. But in order to be a supporter of the Church, uh, they have to be able to recognize the church. They have to be able to. Um, they have to be able to find it. Um, they have to know who to go talk to. Now, what I would like to do is I would like to split the difference between um, the these Baptistic advocates of unregistered churches that have basically nothing whatever to do with the civil magistrate, and the uh, historic Presbyterian uh, position which says that the magistrate has um, authority in matters circa sacra, surrounding sacred things, but not in sacris, not in sacred things. So the magistrate cannot tell you who to excommunicate. Um, the, Bible, the magistrate cannot tell you to preach through the book of Romans next. The, the, the magistrate does not have authority in sacris. It does not have authority in Socrates. But he does have authority, circa sacra, surrounding sacred things, um, to the extent that the, uh, um, to take a, an example from the Old Testament, uh, let's say the, uh, the Israelite building codes were still in effect, in, and you had to have a parapet around the roof of your house, and if you didn't and someone fell off and broke their leg, that you were liable. Um, if someone fell off the roof of a church that didn't have a parapet, um, would they be would they be as liable as a private citizen? I would argue, yes. That would be the authority of the magistrate, circa sacra, around sacred things, but not in sacris, in sacred things. So here we are in the middle of episode 43 in our podcast, and we come now to uh, our hamartiology uh, segment, and we've come to a word that is uh, used enough in the New Testament that I'm going to have to break it up into different segments. So um, 
uh, I'm going to talk about it in this podcast and also um, the same word or uh, the verb form of the word in the two following podcasts. This is a word uh, related to sin that is used a lot in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, we come now to the word, uh, the words from which we derive the name of our little study, hamartiology, the study of sin, uh, in which all of us have majored in one way or, or another. So, uh, these words are hamartano and hamartia, respectively. Hamartano and hamartia, respectively. Uh, they are used so often in the New Testament that we will have to take our time in order to hit all of the uses. And so I want to start with uh, I want to start with Matthew. Um, but remember, uh, we're not going to cover this completely in this episode of the podcast. You're going to have to wait uh, for episode 44 and 45 to to uh, catch up on this one. Uh, in Matthew, hamartano is rendered twice as sin. That's in uh, Matthew 18:21 and Matthew 27:4, and it's rendered once as trespass in Matthew 18:15. Peter is asked, uh, Peter, excuse me, Peter asked how many times he should forgive someone who sinned against him. Uh, that's 18:21. How many times should I forgive someone who sinned against me? Up to seven times. Just a few verses earlier, the same word is translated as trespass. If thy, brother, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. That's 18.15. The other time that Matthew uses hamartano for sin is when Judas confessed the guilt of what he had done. I have sinned in that I've betrayed innocent blood. That's in Matthew 27.4. So those are the three uses of the verb form in, uh, in Matthew. Now, Matthew uses the word hamartia seven times, and the word is rendered as sin all seven times. Jesus was named Jesus because he was going to save his people from their sins. That's Matthew one twenty one. When the Israelites went out to be baptized by John the Baptist, they did so as they confessed their sins. That's in Matthew 3, 6. When the paralyzed man was brought to Jesus, the Lord forgave his sins first. That's Matthew 9, 2. Then in discussing what he had done, he uses the word twice again. That's in 9, 5, and 6. Men will be forgiven all kinds of sins, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's, um, that's Matthew twelve thirty one. And then last, when we drink the blood of the New Testament, we do so because it was shed for many for the remission of our sins. That's Matthew 26, 28. Uh, this, raf- this last reference, uh, talking about the Lord's um, Supper, makes it clear that the New Covenant is all about dealing with our sin. Those who reject the idea of sin itself, as all relativists necessarily do, are showing their antipathy for the good news that God has given to us. So, the good news of the gospel is good news that presupposes an understanding of the antecedent bad news. And the antecedent bad news is the bad news of our sinfulness, the bad news of the fact that we have sinned, and the bad news of how God's holiness condemns us for that. God in the time of the sickness, God in the You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. 
This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.